Welcome. Uh, this is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Greg Peters. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. So Greg is the president and COO of Bright Mountain Media. And for those not familiar with the company, uh, Greg, can you tell us a little bit about Bright Mountain Media? Absolutely. So Bright Mountain is a combination of four companies, three of which were recently acquired over the last uh, 12 months. And the companies are um, in two major areas in the the product-to-market process for digital advertising. They're either in the uh, span that uh, includes the entire product-to-market process, or they're at the end downstream where they're owned and operated websites. So we acquired two companies that um, one was technology out of Tel Aviv called Oceanside, and this is mainly for ad delivery, and a, a second company which is called Wild Sky Media, which are female-focused, owned and operated websites that reach about 30 million monthly uniques. Uh, and then the third company is a company called Media House, which was formerly known as NDN, which was the largest syndicator uh, of video content in the United States for news, travel, entertainment, lifestyle, sports, to newspaper, magazine, and radio sites. So the company Bright Mountain Media, of course, is publicly traded and they uh, undertook an initiative about 18 to 24 months ago to look at the digital media space and monetization and look at the various properties that were uh, required for a very efficient consolidated product-to-market process and found that the asset values were very low uh, because of a major industry correction that started in 2017. And they thought it was very attractive to start to roll up assets to consolidate the space. So as I mentioned, there are four companies that are together now, uh, and we fully expect there to be several more by the end of the year and, and leading into 2021. So, so Greg, in prepping for this call, I, I noticed some uh, websites that, that you owned uh, that all had to mm -hmm. do with the public safety area. Is that out Dated information, or do you own those? And is your focus in that area, or where is the focus? Okay, so the original Bright Mountain model was uh, public safety and first responders. And so it was a series or a combination of about 18 or 19 sites focused on that. Uh, and they were a public company just operating those sites. And that's when the chairman saw what was happening in the overall digital media market and decided it was time to, to roll up assets in, in the space. So the first responders and public safety market really is focused on a young male audience. The Wild Sky acquisition is focused on a female audience. And the media house syndicated network is mainly focused on a 35 to 54-year-old uh, mixed audience of male, female, educated, uh, more affluent uh, decision makers that go to online news and online media uh, to consume their information. So okay. the focus so now, down – I'm sorry. Oh No, I, I was just going to say, so now it's not about owning websites so much as it is uh, digital advertising. Is that correct? So digital advertising is a source of income 
in revenue, not only for Bright Mountain, but of course for all of the website publishers downstream, the newspaper, magazine, radio, television sites, and specialty sites. So if you, you, know, you pivot, you pivot towards the money. We focus on the ad buyers, both the brands and the agencies, and what they need to have the confidence and trust to deliver their advertising to the target demographic. And in doing that, we're consolidating the product to market process, so it's a one-stop shop with us. And then downstream, these owned and operated sites are effectively a walled garden where we have ultimate control over where the ads are going to run, how they're going to run, in what geography, what content category, and to what demographic. So there's a huge advantage to owning the sites, uh, not only for the, the ad buyers, but there's a huge advantage for us because more of the gross margin will drop to the bottom line. In the syndicated market, it reaches a wider national audience um, across all the demographics. And again, it's a one-stop shop because we're consolidating this process uh, for the ad buyers. Okay, thanks for clearing that up for me. And in the space that you play in, what does the competitive landscape look like? So there's a duopoly of Facebook and Google that effectively takes about 60%, well over 60% of the digital ad spend. Um, and then what is left is quite a substantial market. So by 2023, the digital ad spending in the United States is going to be a, over $200 billion. Um, so when you look at it this year, in 2020, we expected to be over $130 billion, even with the impact of COVID. So if you take out two-thirds of that, you've still got a very substantial market for a lot of entrants, uh, a lot of players in the space to deliver these ads to the end users. What we do, which is different from most, we're not an ad network. We're not an arbitrage. We have dedicated placements on the pages. We have code living on 14,000 websites. So we have, and we also have publisher relationships through contractual means to be able to deliver the ads exactly where they need to be delivered. So in doing that, it enables us to capture a larger amount of this ad spend and compete very well in the space. As we continue to acquire additional companies, we'll acquire more market, we'll acquire more relations with advertisers, and probably most importantly, we'll acquire data-driven targeting capabilities that give us um, give our ad buyers and ourselves uh, extreme confidence in reaching the right people at the right times. And, and uh, given that a roll-up is a big part of this strategy, how do you stand out from the competition as an acquirer? Are you just competing on price or, or what? So as an acquirer, our targets, uh, many of our targets have uh, leading either point solutions in their space. Uh, for instance, they may have a, a very sophisticated uh, ad delivery technology or a very sophisticated targeting technology. Or they may own websites that are specialized in reaching a very valuable demographic. So what we do is we look at all of these. We have an architecture that we're building end-to-end, -end, and we have a, a list, a very, I, I would call it a detailed list of who is attractive in the space. 
And then we look at their, their individual circumstances or situations. Many of them are privately funded. They are not able to attract the private equity at this time or working capital to reach scale. And they've realized, especially over the last couple of years, that they need to come together with other players in the space and become part of an integrated platform. And since Bright Mountain is public, it gives us the ability to use our stock as currency to acquire these companies. And they see then a more predictable outcome for value to be created for their shareholders. Uh, are key personnel typically coming with the acquisition, or are these companies typically looking to uh, cash out? No, the, the key key personnel is is an absolute requirement because you know we <laughs> if if we bought the technology without the team that could operate it or the websites uh, without the team that actually built up a valuable. Uh, website for that particular demographic, uh, it would be very difficult for us to recreate uh, that that management team. So we we bring the teams all together. Uh, we we manage them as an integrated company, but we also let them retain their independence in their particular functional area in the websites that they operate or the technology uh, that they deliver to the overall company. So, so the companies you're acquiring, they're really buying into the Bright Mountain uh, media story. Absolutely, and I was one of the companies that was acquired, and that's what I bought into because you can see in the market, if we're going to compete against Google and Facebook, and there's some question about whether they're going to be able to sustain their their position in the industry, but you know our market that we compete for is over $50 billion, excluding Google and Facebook. And what I saw and what the chairman saw, and that's the reason he started the roll-up, is he saw that if we could pull together key players in the space, then we would be able to achieve a large part of that market. Because there's no real leader in the space. There are some uh, early entrants that have uh, either developed data-driven targeting or have developed uh, owned and operated walled gardens or have become very sophisticated trading desks. Um, those are just piece parts of the solution. Um, and sometimes in this product-to-market process, there is middle, as many as nine middlemen in this process. So you can imagine the, the opportunity to take each one of these middlemen business models and integrate them onto one platform so that we can effectively deliver more downstream to the, the website owners and retain more for us. So we have to pull this team together, and we're, we're acquiring leaders in their space, and we're letting them contribute to the architecture of the whole that we're putting together. Very good. And then who are the customers you're going after? What size, roughly? Well, the, the, the publisher partners that we have in the distributed architecture are anywhere from Hearst to Cox to the, the Hill, to the Washington Examiner, to Gannett. So they're the largest of the media companies uh, on the digital side. On the websites that we're looking to acquire, um, they can you know, be you know, household names. Like Wild Sky, they, have, they own Cafe Mom, Mom.com, Little Things, which are substantial sites for women-oriented sites. I, I can't really give you the names of other targeted websites, but usually they are substantial enough in their space 
to at least be in the top two or three uh, for their particular demographic category. And it sounds like you're, you're not in the business of starting your own sites. It's, it's acquiring sites. Is that correct? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you said that because um, it's kind of in our DNA. When you acquire companies that own websites, um, it's in their DNA to spin up additional sites, either depending upon current events or where they see a void or an opportunity in the market. So we have the core capabilities because we run our own sites. So spinning up an additional site is not uh, much of a you know, heavy lift. So that is going to be part of our future as well. And we're looking at a couple of content categories currently, uh, and we've actually written the business plans to create additional websites. And, and many of these are, um, I, I would call it a natural evolution of what people are looking for online to complement their, their daily news consumption. You know, they may have a hobby. They may have a special interest. Um, there may be a current event. So uh, the market is changing and fine-tuning uh, quite a bit there. Now, what do your revenue model or models look like? So the revenue model is primarily either direct or programmatic advertising that comes directly from ad agencies uh, and delivers either video advertising as a pre-roll into a website that runs prior to a video that's embedded in an article that matches the content or a display ad or a cost per click ad or a cost per acquisition CPA kind of ad. There are many different ad units. If you look at a typical web page, there are only about four or five ways to make money on that page. The content takes up the majority of the space, and then you'll have video ads, display ads, perhaps an e-commerce ad, and then a couple of uh, content referral uh, or page referral kind of ads. Um, so we, are, we have the capabilities to deliver all of these ad units. And one of the goals here working with the publishers is for them to do what they do well. And you know, a publisher is really good at editorial, uh, and they're very good at audience generation, audience creation, and retaining that audience. For them to, to build out the monetization capabilities, to work with big ad agencies, to manage all the technology, all of the different ad products, is a heavy uh, lift for them, and it takes away from what they do well. They don't need to recreate the wheel every time a website or outlet is created. So we, we come in and provide them everything outside of their core competence so they can do a good job uh, on their own. And so at this point in time, are you chasing revenue? Are you chasing advertisers more than you're chasing placement? Or what's the balance there? Okay, so the balance is it's, it's kind of a chicken and the egg always. You always have to have you know, strong, a strong foothold in the publisher markets and the website markets. And so you have to have uh, very trusted relationships there that you're going to deliver advertising at a very high uh, ad value. Uh, and as I mentioned before, we have over 14,000 websites uh, where our code lives in the header. Um, we also have about 26 owned and operated websites, uh, which we fully control. On the ad side, the, it's, a, it's a relationship um, challenge as well where you have six major, and some people think there's only four major, um, advertising holding companies with multiple sub-ad agencies under those. And you have to constantly work these relationships 
because a typical sub-agency may represent seven or eight or 10 or 20 large brands, and the brands change, and they work with different advertisers or different agencies at different times. So you have to keep the relationships going on both sides all the time. In this particular time, you know, the first six months of this year was impacted by the COVID virus, uh, where a lot of ad agencies um, froze their ad buying and converted uh, traditional upbeat advertising into public service announcement advertising. And the political ad buys were frozen until just after July 4th, and we expect a big pickup now. So this year is an aberration. Normally, the first quarter is the planning cycle. Second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, the advertising spend uh, creeps up or jumps up every quarter. One thing, the, the digital ad dollars that are there, the reason they're so large and so strong is it is the natural transition from television advertising to the digital world where you are carrying multiple devices at many times and maybe a laptop, an iPad, an iPhone, but then you may be sitting in front of a television that's a smart television watching OTT or CTTV apps on that television. So the reason this market is so strong is all those ad dollars that traditionally could only get to you via television now are being presented to you with any device you may be carrying or viewing. So, so backing up for a second, um, I had a follow-up question regarding the revenue model in terms of gross margins. Are, are they software-type margins? And then also, um, touching on what you said about COVID, has COVID affected your business uh, in any other major way other than what you mentioned? Yeah, we don't give guidance on, on gross margins, but uh, I would say that yes, uh, on the owned and operated websites, they're similar to software margins, absolutely. Um, and, you know, with the syndicated distributed uh, part of our model uh, to reach the rest of the newspaper, magazine, radio, and television sites, that's a bit lower than software margins just because there are, you know, it's, there's a third party involved that you're syndicating content out to. Um, COVID, yes, COVID, about the middle of February, the brand started to get very nervous because they didn't want you know, their upbeat advertising to present this feel-good story when they knew that the market, uh, the population was frankly panicking over how severe this was going to be. So they did pull back. So yes, the first quarter results, which we announced recently, were impacted by a pullback in the digital advertising. What we've seen more recently in late June is a resumption of uh, the planning cycle again. So we had a long period of public service announcements, and you know, I'm sure you've seen all these. You know, we're in this very difficult time kind of messaging. Now we're starting to see a new phase of that messaging where it's showing how people are getting back to business as usual or their life as normal, um, but they're still being kind of cautious. We will see that start to rise, at least all the feedback we're getting from the industry is we're going to see it start to rise as people get more accustomed to our current way of life. Now, the political advertising piece, um, you know, we saw a, a lot for the Democratic primaries. Of course, there was not a Republican primary. So we saw a lot of spend in the Democratic primary, and then there was a gap um, because the virus and the political messaging had to be finely tuned 
not to be insensitive. So now we're starting to see the political messaging after the 4th of July come back out stronger. Um, And we expect the end of July, August, September, October to be very strong with political advertising. So you'd given some pretty substantial growth guidance, I think in the 200% plus uh, area. And uh, is that what, uh, is it the political advertising or what gives you the confidence to guide, especially in this environment? Yeah, it's a combination of integration and reaching synergies among the four businesses that we have put together. Um, as you know, the, the, synergra- the, the integration and synergies does not happen immediately. There's, there's work to be done. Um, there's, there's the getting to know each other, how each, how each business actually operates, what their strengths are, what their opportunities are for us to um, actually grow the top line as well as deliver more uh, profitability on the bottom line. So that's part of it. So the organic growth is part. But yes, the political advertising is another part that we expect to provide a significant jump. Um, In addition, um, getting back to normal in the commercial advertising is very important. And we're starting to see that now. We've been responding to many RFPs recently. We have a lot of um, uh, Zoom calls underway where we're giving our partners you know, an update, an overview on um, our capabilities, our reach, what our partners are thinking, uh, and the demographics that they want to reach, and showing them how we can target it with, the, with their data. So it, it's a combination of, of several things. Very good. And, and how many acquisitions can you integrate in a given year? Is, is that the gating factor? And also, how many companies are out there to be acquired that, that fit your criteria? So I would say, I mean, how many can we how many can we integrate on an annual basis? Sure. It depends on the size. It depends on the size and complexity of the of the acquisition. Uh, there's small ones that we buy for technology, and that is, you know, we buy it, we turn over the technology, it gets integrated into our platform, and that's fairly seamless and, and quick. Um, the website companies that we buy. We can let them run independently for a while and integrate where we think we need to integrate certain functions. So those are fairly easy to buy and integrate as well. Um, I would say the larger, more complex um, acquisitions, either for um, the, on the data side of the business, uh, demand side platform, or even some of the supply side platforms, those, are, those can be more um, challenging to integrate. So we'll be very selective because we don't want to we don't want to have indigestion as we go through this. But we we can almost run these independently and integrate wherever it makes sense and whenever we feel like we have the appropriate time and focus to do so. And how many companies are there in our space that we could be acquiring? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier there have been on average nine, maybe ten different steps in this product-to-market process. There are probably five or six in each of those steps um, that we could look at um, as candidates. Um, So I would say there's definitely more than 50 in the space that we've identified now. Uh, We're going through it very systematically to determine, you know, which ones are actually going to deliver 
uh, what we're looking to deliver at this particular point in time. And, you know, that's a, that assessment is a, an assessment of the people, it's an assessment of the technology, it's an assessment of the market and the relationships they have. So that, that takes a little time. And, and key drivers for the business, is it acquisitions that you make or, or what should those look like? Um, well, it, acquisitions are definitely a key driver um, because this can provide us greater capabilities to build the trust both upstream and downstream. Um, so, yes, the, cap- the acquisitions are very important. The other part is once the acquisitions are in place, even the ones we have now, it's a new story that we can tell to the advertisers and to the publishers. And so that new story has been very welcome because this space with the industry correction over the past few years, you know, it was a, a lot of companies that, that didn't, didn't have the capabilities to really scale. Now as we're all coming together, it's, it's a good story in a space that was hit pretty hard. And so it's being well-received both, you know, with the ad buyers and the publishers. So there's kind of a dual driver the acquisitions definitely feel, or excuse me, feed the positive story into the market that results in greater ad buys. And in the, the back half of the year, are there any events or catalysts that we should look for? The presidential election is, <laughs> is the, the major one. And then, of course, the, the Senate and House elections are also very important. The battleground states, of course, will be where there's a huge focus. Uh, from a governor's election point of view, there's only 11 races this year. I think there's 36 in the off-presidential year. So it's kind of light on the governor's side, but there will still be a lot of money spent. Uh, and then your, your traditional commercial ad buyers getting back to business as usual is also, I would consider, a big event for the last half of the year. So it sounds like you're creating a, a problem for yourself in terms of a, a year-over-year tough comp because you've got political advertising um, this year. Do you, do you have? Do you think you have some fill-in revenue so that's not as difficult for next year? Well, yeah, because of the commercial side, traditional commercial ad buys are consistent year-over-year-over-year, and they're growing year-over-year as the television uh, – ad dollars continue to transition to digital. So the pie is growing. Our piece of the pie is growing. And, you know, the political cycle is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's, it, it changed. It really changed in when Obama, uh, in the election where he was elected, um, because there has become more and more emphasis every two years instead of every four years. Um, more and more information, data, social information out there, the cable networks are just all over it all the time. So there's a lot of ad dollars to be spent, even in the off years. So, you know, we're going to see every two years, um, you know, a bump that we expect the, the tide to continue to rise with the commercial advertising. Now, as we buy more companies, there'll be more revenue sources and more of a complete turnkey solution for all of our partners. Very good. So before we go, are there any closing remarks you want to leave us with and why, um, why this is a good place to put money? Well, I think, it, I think it all comes down to the timing. Our chairman has done this many times in other industries in the past, um, in a, in a variety, whether it's medical technologies or optical fiber communication technologies or construction technologies. Um, he follows a model. He follows a model of 
attractive asset values, depressed asset values that can be rolled up in creating greater capabilities for a unified platform. Um, the digital ad market today is being fed by these television ad dollars transitioning to digital. It's continuing to grow. So it, I think the timing is perfect for this kind of industry consolidation and roll-up in the market with the amount of addressable market that continues to grow. And that's frankly what convinced me to sell our company um, to Bright Mountain to uh, be a main platform within this roll-up. Very good. Well, Greg, thanks for taking the time and sharing the story. It's a good one. Thank you. I appreciate you.